Thank you, Sarah. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Oh, a little bit more responsive than the first service. Great. You guys got some extra sleep. Uh, my name is Jared Perry. I am the uh, church planning resident here at White Rock Fellowship. Thanks so much for being here. We're excited to have each and every one of you with us today. Um, we have a little bit of a sh- shorter section. Um, so uh, Jeff asked if I would give uh, an update on our church plant Eastlake Fellowship. Um, is it okay if I do that instead of maybe sharing an embarrassing story about my childhood? <laughs> Great. That's fantastic. So uh, if you weren't aware, we were hoping to plant a, uh, a church plant on the east side of White Rock Lake, uh, targeting this September 2023. We're getting really excited about it. Um, we have started having home group gatherings uh, for the people who are interested in East Lake Fellowship, um, and those have been really great. We've got a good group of people who are committed, uh, uh, a good group of people who are interested in what's been going on. And so those are happening every other week on Sunday afternoons, just right after church. Um, we've been able to host them at some various houses. We've had them here at the church. It's been super fun. Um, on top of that, we've had a Super Bowl party that was uh, a really exciting thing um, for us to get to do. And I think for me, maybe my favorite part has been seeing people in our community start to invite others to come check us out uh, and say, hey, you might be interested in this. So um, we're really enjoying those gathering times. We're starting to talk about what is, it, what is the church that we're planting? What do we want it to look like? What do these neighborhoods need? How can we serve them well? What is discipleship? What, what does that process of discipleship look like in the life of a new church plant? Um, so it's been really, really fun. Uh, another big uh, step that we've taken is we've started having conversations with potential part-time staff members. Um, so our artist in residence, Caroline Cobb-Smith, uh, had a connection to a uh, person who might be able to help us out on the worship side of things. So we started those conversations recently, and that was super exciting. Um, then we've also reached out to someone to help us on more of the, like, how do we administrate our uh, children's ministry time? How do we help serve and care for our volunteers? Uh, we had a conversation with someone on that end uh, about a week or so ago as well. So those conversations have been really exciting too. Um, <clears throat> another big step that we've taken is identifying potential locations. Unfortunately, I, I can't stand up here and say, hey, here's, this is where we're going to meet. We'd love to be able to say that, but we are in conversations with a few different places, um, and those are at various stages at this time. Uh, a new place had come up uh, in the past couple of weeks that we've got a connection to that is particularly exciting to us, so we're hoping we'll have more information in the next few weeks for that. Um, so maybe the next time I preach, I'll be able to kind of give you, hey, here's where we're hoping to meet. So, uh, but since we're not meeting till September, we do still have a little bit more time there. Finally, uh, we have in our core team a number of different people involved in uh, children's mental health, a number of people who are uh, licensed professional counselors specifically working with kids. So one of the steps we're going to take as East Lake Fellowship is to host uh, a children's mental health night um, or day, we're still working out the timing, uh, <clears throat> where we invite uh, parents in the community come and have conversations about how do they identify what's going on with their child's mental health? What are coping steps that they could take to help them in that process? How do they know when they need to go see a counselor or a therapist? And then how can we help parents as they're dealing with their own mental health in a situation where maybe their child has some significant or even just mild mental health needs. So that's a moment that we're really excited about. Uh, as we get more details, we'll certainly publicize that and let you invite people 
That's not just an Eastlake thing. That's something where we'd love for the whole White Rock community to be invited and be a part as a way to serve our neighbors. So a lot of really fun things because I've been talking really, really fast, and you can tell. But we do have a few things that we'd like to invite you to do. Um, First off, we'd love for you to help us out by praying. Jeff has been so faithful and so kind uh, to continue to ask you guys to pray about whether the Lord might be calling you to go and participate. We'd love for you uh, to consider that, and if so... I'd be happy to have a conversation about that with you. But if maybe the Lord's not calling you to come with us, we'd love for you to pray for us, to pray for these community gatherings on Sunday afternoons, pray for our unity there, pray for these conversations with staffers, conversations about locations. We'd love for you just to continue to have us in your prayers. Second piece is if you could consider introducing us or inviting someone to participate with us, right? You might not be interested in coming to be a part of East Lake Fellowship, but you might know someone in your community that maybe being a part of a new church might be more appealing to them than coming and being part of something more institutional. Coming to a home group or a lunch might be more appealing to them than coming to a Sunday service. We'd be happy to host them and and love to get to know that person. Maybe you know someone on the east side of the lake who just has a need. Um, Maybe it's somebody who's going through a particularly hard time, an older person who would benefit from, hey, maybe some, they have family that doesn't necessarily live here anymore and they would benefit from some regular visits. We would love to get to know that person. So uh, if you could consider inviting or introducing us to someone, that'd be great. The third thing that we really need and would be a big blessing for us is for you to give. Now, I know we just had a big partner meeting about the building that we're hoping uh, to build. And so that is obviously a priority and something we're incredibly supportive of. What we specifically need you to give is lunches. We have these Sunday gatherings after church, and there's these incredible times for us to come together. We've had people in our core team offer to host, um, but the burden of taking care of lunch sometimes can be a little overwhelming, the logistics of all that to handle. When we were wanting to be focused in on one another and building that community, If someone was able to come in and say, hey, I can pay for lunch or I could provide lunch for your group and help ease that burden, that would be a huge gift for us. So if you're in a place where you'd be willing to consider that, I'd love to chat with you about what that could look like as a way for you to give to Eastlake Fellowship in a real tangible, meaningful way. So we'd love for you to think about that. In the meantime, as you're considering Eastlake Fellowship, please remember we do have our website, which is eastlakefellowship.org. If you want to be involved there, um, there is a partner button that's like right at the top of the page that you can click on and you can scroll through and, uh, and get involved in a number of different ways. Okay, that's the Eastlake update. I'd like it to move to a Romans update, if that's all right. <laughs> Before we do that, can we pray? Okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you that we are indeed hid in Christ. That your sinless son has died to save us. And that we, by your work, by your power, may be saved from our sinfulness. God, I ask and pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you would move in both our hearts and our minds. that we would be confronted with who you are and your goodness. And that no matter what's been going on, Lord, that we would be touched by your mercy. And so if you would, I'd ask you to take a second and pray for yourself. Uh, Pray that, well, you know, you know what your week has been like. You know what the season has been like for you. You know what might distract you. 
ask that the Lord would be able to speak to you right where you are today. And then if you would, take a second and pray that for those around you. If you know their names, great. Use their names. If not, that's fine. God knows who they are. Pray that wherever they are right now, that God would be able to speak his goodness and mercy to them. And then finally, if you would, pray for me. This is a fun and exciting passage to preach. And I don't want my excitement, my personal excitement, to get in the way of what's revealed here. So just ask that the Lord would move through me. Well, Lord, we pray these things in hope because we believe that you hear us. And we pray them in need because we cannot make them happen on our own. And so we pray in your son's name by the power of the spirit. Amen. So where are we in the book of Romans? We're approaching the end of chapter 11. If you want to, while I'm talking, you can go ahead and start turning there. But we're approaching the end of chapter 11. And Jeff has been walking us through this process, discussing Israel's relationship with the Gentiles, Israel's relationship with the promises of God, and what God is doing in the life of his chosen people. We had this really interesting conversation last week where Paul's explaining how the Gentile believers have been grafted in to this tree of life that is the Lord's plan, right? And that the Israelites who have rejected the Lord, we still see that God has a plan for them. If you'll look with me in Romans 11, verse 25, we see that Paul said, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And Paul, I'll remind you, is a Jew. He was steeped in Judaism. He had learned from the best of the best in their religion. And God had rescued and redeemed him. And yet, just a few chapters ago, we saw him confess his anguish, his care for the state of the Jewish people, for those that had rejected the Lord and were not following him. And we come to this moment in chapter 11 where Paul's explaining that no, God does have a future for Israel. And he uses this word mysterious. And as we move on into 33, Paul's going to pick up on that term. And it's going to launch him into this moment of sincere worship as he celebrates what God is doing in history. But it's a moment that I think is informative for us as well. Look with me in verse 33 as we see in this next section that the mystery of God invites worship. 
Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. See, for God, this mystery of salvation that he has been working causes him, to, or for Paul, excuse me, this mystery of salvation that God has been working causes Paul to worship God. He says, oh, the depths, how unfathomable are God's riches. Now, I don't think this is talking about God's monetary. I mean, it's certainly not, not talking about his resources, but I think what we're focused on here is the mercy of God, the richness of God's mercy, the richness of his wisdom, the depths of his knowledge. Paul is blown away as he's considered the mystery of what God is doing with the Gentiles and Jews to bring salvation. That mystery leads Paul to worshiping who God is. And so then he makes this statement, how unsearchable are his judgments? Unsearchable his judgments is not a phrase that we use a lot, right? I think of my sister-in-law is in law school right now, and she is studying cases and using cases to then make arguments for other cases. So she is searching judgments in the law in order to be able to make those cases. But Paul's sitting here saying God's judgments in the world and on humanity are unsearchable. They are unexplorable by us because he is so much greater and so much better. So much more knowledge, so much more wisdom, so much more mercy. That it's mysterious to us. We can't fully understand. Even though the judgment seem like they're right in front of our face. Like, of course I can understand that thing. It's right there. Paul makes the case and the point. That God's knowledge, his mercy, and his wisdom. Take those judgments to a place where we can't even fully explore and understand them. Not only can we, his judgments not be searched, his ways cannot be scrutinized. right? God's ways are inscrutable. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that we cannot fully understand the ways that God moves through the world. I mean, think about the Israel illustration. If somebody had told you that the God of the universe was going to choose a people through whom to bless the world, right? You would not imagine that the way that he was going to bless the world through that chosen people would be for them to be faithless to his ways and then for them to reject his son and then that through their rejection, God would use them to rescue the rest of the nations and then through rescuing those nations, God would come back around and redeem that chosen people. Who among us would have written that script? Who would have chosen that way? I would have just said, let's let God's people be great the whole way through. But because of the mystery of God's mercy, his wisdom and his knowledge, he chose a better path for us. And this mysterious way for Paul is worthy of worship. It's worthy of him taking a moment in the midst of this in-depth theological conversation to sincerely praise God and sincerely celebrate who he is. He goes on in verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord 
And who has been his counselor? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has understood his thoughts? I have an adorable two-year-old niece, right? She's precious, all right? I don't know if you've ever been around kids that age. Their parents have a unique ability to understand what they're saying, right? We were there on Friday night, and she was talking in the most normal, casual way to her. And I had no idea what she was saying. And her mom was like, oh, yeah, we can do that thing, and understood her perfectly. She knew her thoughts and her mind. And yet, even her mother, who's fantastic and knows her well, has moments when her daughter gets upset, and she's like, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Who has known the thoughts of a two-year-old, right? She's got no idea. How much more is the mystery of the thoughts of God? How much more would we find ourselves in a place where we cannot fully comprehend how he works based on what he knows? Similarly, who has been the Lord's counselor? Counselor here is probably more like advisor, but it's pretty funny to think of ourselves as like God's therapist. Like, who, how absurd a thought that like I'm sitting in the chair and God's on the couch and he's talking to me about some relationship problem that he has or some anxiety that he's dealing with, right? And I'm trying to help him. I know the couch thing is, is stereotypical. I know that's not how everybody works. But like, how crazy of it to think of it like that God would need a therapist? Of course he doesn't. Who would be God's counselor? Because God is different than us the depths of his mercy, of his knowledge, of his wisdom. He functions and operates differently than us. And those differences don't have to push us away. The questions that we've asked over the last few chapters, the places where we've wondered and felt those tensions about, God, why are you doing it this way? Why isn't it this way? I don't feel entirely comfortable with that. They don't have to lead us to places of tension with the Lord. Paul invites and shows us how the mystery of God can lead us to worship and celebrate who he is. Look finally in verse 35. Or who has given a gift to God, to him, that he might be repaid? This rhetorical question is kind of double-sided. It's a double-sided no. On the one hand, of course we've not given a gift to God that he would repay because our God is not lacking in anything. Our God is not in need. So the idea that I could give him something that then he'd have to pay me back for, it doesn't make sense because he's not in need. And secondly, everything I have to offer, everything I could give to the Lord, He gave it to me first. He blessed me with it originally. And so the mystery of the bigness and the grandness and the greatness of God overwhelms Paul in this moment. As he, a Jew, is struck that God would save his people in this way that he would have never imagined and never have written for himself. And yet God has chosen to be faithful in that mystery. And I think this is important. We live in a time 
where all of us, most of us have one of these in our pockets, right? That if we want to know something, if we want to understand something, we just pull those out and we can search it. Some of us don't even have to type things in. There's an ethereal being. Hey, Siri. Hey, Alexa. That will answer those questions for us and give us information or give us understanding. We want to know what actor this is. We want to know what song this is. We want to understand this medical thing that I'm scared of, right? We can go search and get information and have this perception that understanding and wisdom is right at all of our fingertips. In doing so, we have diminished the amount of of mystery in our life. And so when mystery does arrive, we become way more uncomfortable. I mean, even at a human level, we go to a doctor and we expect the doctor is able to run the test and know exactly what's happening and give us the exact answer and then give me the exact treatment so that things will get better in the exact amount of time. And then you go to the doctor and maybe they can't figure out what's going on or they don't know how long it's going to take and all of a sudden your world can be completely, my world has been completely thrown off because I'm not comfortable with that amount of mystery from someone who I thought had all the information and all the understanding. The reality is, we as humans don't have the ability to completely comprehend this world, much less the God who made it. And that's actually a good thing. It's actually a really good thing. So if through this process of reading Romans or in your personal life, you've got a thing that you're coming up against against God where you're going, God, I don't understand that. That's making me uncomfortable. I, can, I need resolution. I need, to, I need more information. What's happening here? Can I show you that Paul probably feels the same way about the Israelites. He said just a few chapters ago in chapter nine, how much anguish he was feeling because of his brothers and sisters that were not following the Lord. And yet, Paul in this mystery of trying to understand his belief and his unbelief and how they work together is still able to worship God. Because the mystery of God does not have to push us away the mystery of God can invite us to worship. Not only that, not only does the mystery of God invite us to worship, but the work of God invites us to worship. Look with me in verse 36. Here Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This very simple hymn, this very simple doxology, this statement of Paul talks about the works that God has done, right? Many theologians, many people have said it like this, right? God is the source of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. And he's the end of all things. God has done these works to create. He's done the work and is doing the work to sustain. And he will be the end, the glory the majesty of all things. 
We've had some beautiful sunsets these past few weeks. One literally, I was driving down my street going home. One stopped me, right? Like literally, I was like just in the middle of the street and just stopped because I happened to see it. I know that sounds cheesy Christian. I promise it's real, right? My sister-in-law captured this picture because she was stopped by the same sunset in a different place stopped by the same sunset, by this work that God had done. Because God created the sky. He created the earth. He created the sun. He created its orbits. And God has sustained our world. He has sustained it so that it rotates and operates the way that he intended. And God is also the end to which these things work. That we would stop and look at these sunsets. These beautiful, majestic creations of the Lord. And we would think of him. Here's the reality. I saw that sunset. It didn't make all the mystery go away. It didn't make the pain in my life just all of a sudden resolve. It didn't make the questions that I'd had from Romans 9 or Romans 10 or wherever it was, just all of a sudden I had all the answers. But in the midst of the mystery, I was able to remember the works of God. And those works invited me to worship. So, it's appropriate then, at the end of Romans 11, that Paul would take a moment and think about what work has God done here? Remember, we read this section earlier, and I'm going to have us go back and read Romans chapter 1. It'll be on the screen, verse 15, said this, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What does he say next? For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul makes this big statement. The righteousness of God is revealed. The work of God is revealed in the gospel. And then he goes and shows it. So over the last 11 chapters, that's what we've been seeing, right? What did God, what did Paul begin with? The reality that every human being is sinful and not just like a little, like, Hey, I made a mistake. Sinful, like broken to a point where we cannot fix ourselves sinful. We do not have the ability to obey consistently enough to appease the righteousness and goodness of God. We just don't have it in us. And yet, humanity, in this place where they cannot save themselves, have been saved. Why? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Through God loving us enough to send his own son to die on a cross for us. That story, right? It's the story of the gospel of God's righteousness revealed. And it doesn't stop there. Not only did God write the relationship between us and him, but he's writing our own hearts, right? He's taking care of the sinfulness inside of us through Jesus. He's going back and he's undoing what happened in Adam's corruption. And Christ as the new Adam is going to remake our very nature, to where we will have the ability, right? 
when Christ returns to walk faithfully with him and to live in sinlessness. And just in case, and God has promised, let me say this first. God has promised that he will complete this work in us. He's going to do it. And there is no depth, nor height, nor angel, nor demon. There is no power that will separate us from his promised intention in our lives. And just in case you got worried because things were so dark in your life or because of some sin or something that had happened, just in case you got worried that maybe that wouldn't be true for you, we turn to the Israelites. We turn to their faithlessness. We turn to their rejection of Jesus. And even then, Paul says, God has a plan for their salvation. And we can be confident that he will be faithful to their promises to them. And we can be confident that God will be faithful to our promises for us. And we can worship that God. It doesn't take away the questions. It doesn't take away the mystery. But that God telling that story that he came to redeem and he came to save us. And he has made sure that this salvation will be fully realized. Paul says, that's a God I can worship for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. This is a pivot point in the book of Romans. Next week, we are going to begin to discuss more practically what does it look like to live a life of faith and community well. And so I want to encourage you today, this week, to take the time to recognize that theology isn't meant to puff us up. It's not meant to make us feel more superior or to make us feel worse. The purpose of these theological discussions has been really, really to reveal to us the mystery of God and the work of God to save us. And that in that mystery and in that work, we can worship him. Whether you're a new Christian who's come to faith recently or you've been in church and believed in Christ for years, decades even, we can stop and take these moments and realize Our God is rich in mercy, in wisdom, and in knowledge. And our God is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in us through Jesus Christ. And in those truths, we can worship him. Let's pray. Hmm. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. Grateful for these reminders. Grateful for these opportunities in your words to be struck by how even these people that are considered heroes of the faith are overwhelmed by who you are. And grateful in our knowledge and understanding that even in the little bit that we know and get, the mystery of you invites us to even more worship. Father, I pray that for each person in this room, this week would be a week before diving into Romans chapter 12, 
for us potentially to refresh ourselves by remembering the goodness of mystery in a world where so much information is available. And for us to remember the faithfulness of your work at a time when we can become so overwhelmed by our circumstances. Father, we pray these things in your son's name by the power of the spirit. Amen.